Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Firstly, I want to say that I, I hope that over the course of Simchas Torah, you took a moment to reflect on what we have accomplished so far in completing Sefer Yehoshua and Sefer Shoftim. I am very excited that the road ahead will be very smooth. We've been interrupted quite a bit by Yomtiv. Now we'll have an opportunity uh, to have smooth sailing as we sink our teeth into Sefer Shmuel, which I know is going to be so rewarding and enjoyable. Since our last podcast, a lot has happened, uh, but I will summarize it very briefly. You'll recall that Shmuel had a prophecy, his inaugural prophecy was that something bad was going to happen, and indeed it does. The Plishtim defeat Bnei Israel in battle, and they seize the Aron. In that same battle, they kill Eli's children, and when Eli finds out that news, Eli himself dies. So it's a series of tragedies. The Plishtim take the Aron back to their own cities, uh, and then ultimately are dealt uh, these terrible punishing plagues by Hashem, uh, which forces them to then return the Aron back to Bnei Israel. Shmuel then emerges as this great leader and prophet and shofate in Israel, and there's a massive tshuva movement. Shmuel commands the respect and love of the entire nation, and uh, he leads the nation in a great charge, a great battle against the plishtim, and is able to reconquer cities that had fallen into, under, under plishti control, and ushers in a great period, a great chapter in our history. Eventually, however, Shmuel uh, gets, uh, gets to be old, and the Bnei Israel are looking towards the next generation, who's going to be the, the leader after Shmuel passes. Unfortunately, Shmuel's children, much like Eli's children, uh, are corrupt, and they're not the suitable leaders to replace Shmuel, and so the Bnei Israel request a king. And Israel want a king, and this request, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in this request, but suffice it to say that both Hashem as well as Shmuel see this request in a very negative light. They see it coming from a, a, a negative place, from a bad place. They're, the Bnei Israel are off base. However, the Torah does allow for a king and has rules relating to a king, and so Hashem tells Shmuel to honor this request, and to anoint a king. That brings us to our Perek, where we will meet the man who will become the first king, and that is Shaul. So here we are, Perek Tes, chapter 9. You'll recall that in the last podcast, which was all the way back in Perek uh, Gimel, in the third chapter, we had our introduction to Shmuel, and we unpack that very carefully, we looked at all the different cues that we were being given in this perek to appreciate the portrait that was being rendered of Shmuel, the way that it reflected on his devotional, uh, his pure, his devotional quality, his purity, his loyalty, etc. I want to give the same treatment to this perek, perek tes, which introduces us to Shaul. Because as you will see, the perek artfully renders Shaul. It's, it's such a beautiful picture, a nuanced picture of Shaul, who himself is such a complex character. And so what I want to do is I want to read through the Perak. I'm not going to read through the Perak, but highlight the narrative of the, of the Perak, pausing to extract the very rich details, uh, the very telling details about Shaul. And I want to do so focusing firstly on the positive, and most of what we see here is positive. And then at the end, I want to circle back 
and give a little bit of thought to some of the ways that the Perek also alerts us to some of Shaul's weaknesses. Let's begin. So we learn that Shaul is from the tribe of Binyamin and that he stands head and shoulders above everybody else in the land. So it never hurts to be uh, tall and we're told that he's quite handsome. So all that kind of, that, that's, that's good. Uh, and then his father sends him on a mission. There's a, a bunch of donkeys that go missing and Shaul goes and together with this young servant searches high and low for these animals going you know, a, a great distance. And the effort that he expends trying to find these donkeys reflects very beautifully on his devotion to his father, on his sense of humility, his sense of, of, of duty. All of that is, is very good. It's even reminiscent a little bit, uh, as this is a three-day journey, the number three there. It's reminiscent of Shmuel when he gets up to serve Eli three times in a row. Both of them uh, are, were introduced to them, both doing something kind of uh, demonstrating a, a real willingness to serve and a real sense of responsibility and loyalty to a father or a father figure. Then Shaul tells his servant that even though they've not succeeded in finding the animals, they should nonetheless go back to their home because their father will be worried. And this too seems to be a very beautiful reflection on him because it reflects a sensitivity towards his father, a love towards his father, caring, good. But the servant says, no, actually, we're right here by this city where there's this great seer, this great prophet, referring to Shmuel. Why don't we go and consult him to see if he could maybe help us with the whereabouts of our animals? Maybe a strange question for someone as great as Shmuel, but nonetheless, they felt like that was appropriate. And uh, Shaul agrees, but he notes that he has no money on him to pay or to honor the prophet. And the servant says, that's okay, I have a little bit of money on me. So if we pause here, we can unpack a a few really interesting and telling signs about Shaul. First, uh, just the way that he engages with his servant is very powerful. He deals with him like an equal. He doesn't command him. He doesn't speak down to him. He he tells the servant, I think we should turn back. Servant says, what about about this, plan B? And Shaul says, okay, we'll do that. And of course, for a king... Having a sense of humility is crucial because the, one of the great dangers of a king is that the king feels like he is above the law, like the king feels like he is above everybody else. And so finding out that this first uh, king of Israel is a man that has a kind of almost egalitarian ethos, right? The way he's dealing with his servant in such a eye uh, level, in such, a, um, in such an equal way is great. That, that bodes very well for him. We also see that uh, he, Shaul is not a man who is so concerned about money. He doesn't have, uh, he, has, he, he hardly has a dollar in his pocket. His servant carries more money than he does. And this too is such a great quality for a, for a king because one of the great dangers of the kingship is that he'll be taken in by the excesses of, uh, of royalty, of having a lavish lavish lifestyle and that he'll accrue too many servants, too many horses, too many this, too many that. That's what the, the Torah warns us against. And so seeing a king who is, is a pretty salt of the earth, um, you know, not really taken in by these hedonistic pleasures, bodes very well for Shaul as the king. Next, as the narrative continues, they enter the town and they stop 
at a well to ask for directions. Now let's think about this. We have this exceedingly handsome man at a well. Think biblically here. What happens at a well? You meet nice young ladies. That's how the Avos pretty much find their wives. That's how Moshe finds his wife. And indeed, Chazal pick up on, on this expectation and they note the very verbose response, right? Shaul and this, this servant go to the well and they ask, where's the seer? And they get this, this Megillah response with all this detail, which seems to be not in uh, kind of, not in line, not in parallel with the question. They could have just answered in one or two words. And Chazal say, that these were women kind of fawning over Shaul. And yet, we find that Shaul is unfazed. He's not distracted by these women. He stays focused on his goal, on his task at hand, and proceeds to go and find Shmuel. And this too, of course, bodes so well for him as king, because one of the primary concerns that the Torah has for the king, and one that we will see as we encounter different kings, uh, is that a king will take too many wives and here, Shaul demonstrates that he's not someone who is prone to falling into that trap. So that's another great quality of Shaul, which makes him suitable for the kingship. Finally, he finds Shmuel. And we learn that, we, the reader, we learn that Shmuel had this prophecy on the prior day, that on the next day, so the day that Shaul does meet Shmuel, uh, Shmuel learned that he was going to meet someone from the tribe of Binyamin who would be the, the correct person to ordain as king. Enters Shaul, Shmuel sees that this is the man that Hashem had determined uh, to lead the Bnei Yisrael. So Shmuel treats him like royalty and takes him to this great feast. And Shaul again displays his humility by telling Shaul, who am I? Why are you treating me this way? I'm just a man from a, from a small tribe, from a small, insignificant clan, etc., uh, etc. Et Again, displaying this, this wonderful sense of humility. So if we put all these pictures, uh, this, all these elements together, we get this picture of Shaul as this person who is handsome and humble and loyal, respectful of his father, not driven by money, not, not driven by, uh, by women or hedonistic pleasures. And so it's this really great picture of a person quite suitable to be the first king of Israel. Note, I'll just note that the parak concludes with Shmuel kind of taking Shaul aside, and we are meant to understand that he tells Shaul that he is destined to become the king. Okay, so that's the positive picture here, but we should note uh, some of the more problematic qualities that are highlighted in this parak as well. Firstly, Shmuel, excuse me, Shaul, demonstrates a kind of lack of follow-through. He was supposed to go and find his family's donkeys. And after some period of time, though it seems like he expended quite a bit of effort in finding them, nonetheless, he's the one who says, let's turn back. And it's his servant who says, well, why don't we try this one other thing? Why don't we go and consult the seer? So, in that moment, in our very first introduction to Shaul, we're seeing that Shaul is someone who sometimes fails to follow through to completely finish his task. Also, he says, we should turn back because my father might be worried about us. And then his servant tells him, well, what about going to meet the seer and try to see if that might be a, a way of solving our problem. And here, Shaul 
lacks the conviction of saying, no, the right thing to do is to turn back and to go back to my father because I don't want him to be worried. Instead, he says, okay, well, well let's, let's do it your way. Let's follow your plan. So Shaul here demonstrates a kind of lack of conviction, uh, a, a clarity of what the right thing to do is, and, uh, and a sense of, you know, this is right and this is what we will do. Instead, he's uh, persuaded by his servant to do otherwise. And so ultimately, if we kind of put all of, the, this, all of these different points together, what we see is this really brilliant, full, robust, rich picture of Shaul in this parak. He's a man with so much going for him, so much to recommend him, and that's why he's given this incredible honor and responsibility of becoming the first king of Israel. So, of course, that's the primary message here. He's, he's clearly a great person, but we also glimpse his fatal flaws in this parak, which shows us that Shaul can at times lack a strong sense of leadership, vision, conviction, and lack the determination and follow-through to complete his mission. That's it for today. Chazak ve'amatz, and happy learning.